Hello, Slashies, and welcome to Slashed, a horror podcast where we talk about the scares, the screams, and the spooky stuff. My name is Grace. And my name is Wouter. And today we'll be talking about the 2020 psychological thriller uh, on Netflix, Sightless. Yes. Uh, which, on our everlasting quest to find new good horror films, mm-hmm. uh, sort of popped onto our feed. And the premise sounded cool enough, so we decided to give it a watch, and uh, I, for one, am very glad we did. Yes, definitely. Uh, So before we dive into this little hidden gem, uh, Grace, why don't you grace us once again with a lovely little synopsis? Thank you. So Sightless is a 2020 psychological thriller written and directed by Cooper Carl. The film stars Madeleine Pesch as former famous violinist Alan Ashland, and Alexander Koch as her caretaker Clayton Haley. The film opens with Ellen in the hospital, where she discovers that, discovers that she has permanently lost her sight in a mysterious attack. Ellen's brother arranges for her to move into an apartment downtown where she will be cared for and rehabilitated by a specialist named Clayton. While Ellen and Clayton develop feelings for each other, Ellen becomes convinced that there's something off about her new home. She befriends her neighbor Lana, who appears to be in an abusive relationship with her husband, and Lana warns Ellen not to trust anyone. Ellen is consequently attacked by Lana's husband, but the detective handling her case tells her that there was no one there. He also tells her that she was most likely blinded by an old friend whom Ellen's ex-husband scammed out of her life savings. Paranoid and wrecked by guilt, Ellen decides to take her own life. When she leaps from a window, however, Ellen discovers that her apartment is actually an elaborate set. With the help of Lana, Ellen discovers that Clayton blinded Ellen and locked her in this studio to force her to love him, because he has been obsessed with her and her music since he was a child. All the people that she encountered, like Lana's husband, her doctor and the detective, were just Clayton playing pretend. Ellen and Lana try to escape, and in the process Ellen blinds Clayton using the asset he used on her. The film ends with Ellen playing the violin in a large concert hall. Thank you very much. So yeah, so this film was unexpectedly really cool. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, because it was a little slow for me at times. And mm-hmm. um, of course, with a fairly newish unknown film, you're always a bit, I'm always a bit hesitant mm-hmm. because um, I've noticed since I've started doing the podcast, I've become a little, little bit more critical when it comes to horror films. But this was really cool. I really liked how it was done, uh, how it's the sort of they played with the premise of her being mm-hmm. blind. I can't really make judgment calls of how accurately uh, Madeline Pesh played the blindness, so I'll just leave that as is. I I would believe that she couldn't see, and that's about it. Yeah, um, when I was doing some research for the podcast, I did read that this wasn't exactly a new premise, uh, but to me, this seemed like quite an original way of working with film. Ellen, of course, because she's blind, doesn't really know what her apartment looks like. She doesn't really know what Clayton looks like or the other people. But you basically see what she imagined. Yes. Imagines things look like. So, for instance, in the beginning, she asks him what color are the walls. And he answers with, well, what color would you like them to be? And she kind of presses, like, no, just tell me what the room looks like. And he says blue. And at that moment, the, I think quite purple walls turn blue and you do this trick a few times and i think it's set up in a really nice way because of course that's going to be important later when she tries to find a knife to attack clayton she finds that there actually weren't weren't knives in the uh in the knife rack in the knife rack things like that or she imagines that clayton is around the corner ready to attack her but it's just her 
imagination and actually isn't there. Stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And what I think this film did really, really well, what I actually found that other films that we reviewed in the past didn't, like Ready or Not or Malevolent, is that this film knew what its premise was. It knew what made it unique or at least what made it stand out from the films that were on that are on show right now. And it didn't forget that. Like It kept going with that premise throughout the film. Throughout the film, that idea kept popping up and it kept being important to... And it kept trying to play with it and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really cool. Also, thank you for when we were watching the movie pointing out the, the wall thing because I couldn't tell the <laughs> difference because yeah. I'm colorblind as shit. But then they did it later with uh, a songbird that mm. um, uh, Clayton brings in and yeah. it's a green parakeet i think mm -hmm. and then he says oh no it's a blue songbird which is of course a really nice um sort of mm -hmm. foreshadowing because he is keeping a, a songbird in a cage himself as well yeah which is really i think that was, there was just so many cool little hints dropped in this is mm -hmm. really one of those films that you can go back and watch like ah you could have known yeah from the start but of course you didn't because the film is nicely crafted that way mm -hmm. and just a little side note she gets the, the budgie and she's like, oh, put a mirror in there. If you have a bird, don't put a mirror in with it because uh, a lot of people do it because then the bird is tricked into thinking it has a companion, but it really only has two outcomes. Either the bird doesn't care for the mirror or he thinks he has a companion that doesn't interact with it. So it gets frustrated. So that's just not very relevant for the film, but I just wanted to say it. Don't do that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> important PSA, though. Take good care of your animals. Yeah. Yeah, but um, as I said, I really liked how the film doesn't really beat around the bush in telling you that something is fucky about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also liked that it came up a few times where you said, hmm, this is a little weird. And then 10 seconds later, Ellen would say, hmm, this thing is a little weird. So, yeah, yeah it, it gave you... Enough that if you're quick enough to spot it, it's there, but it also is upfront about that the protagonist also doesn't trust whatever's happening. Yeah, and Ellen is really smart because a lot of horror films suffer from dumb protagonist syndrome, yeah. where your protagonist has to not pick up on the clues that the audience is being shown just to draw the film out, basically. But Ellen always questioned things when you are also questioning them as an audience which made it really fun and engaging film. Yeah. Because uh, if you're always 10 steps ahead of your protagonist, it gets really frustrating in a bad way. Yeah, but for me, it did get frustrating at times mm -hmm. because then you get into the, uh, the, the territory mm -hmm. of, okay, but does she... Okay, basically my beef with this is she is initially and always quite rude to Clayton. Yes. Even though... Initially, there's no real reason to mistrust him because as far as she knows by that point, he is literally just her caregiver. Yeah, I think she's just rude because she is going through a lot. Yeah, yeah. fair. But, so that was sometimes a little tedious for me. It was a little bit one note in that regard. But mm -hmm. I do agree that they really show her off as being mm -hmm. survival smart, you know? It's yeah. like a really good survival instinct. Uh, and even though, like for example, the knives weren't there, she had mentally mapped... Where, how the she was, where the knives were and how she was going to get to it. Yeah, like things when she's asking Lana about what is going on, she puts the tap on 
and then she throws something on the floor and she's like oh Lana can you help me so they're ducking behind the kitchen counter with a tap on which is of course creating all this uh, noise so the microphones can't pick up what they're saying yeah smart stuff like that that they don't feel the need to explain to you like they don't make a whole thing out of it but they just do it and I think that was really good I will agree that I found that the dialogue between Clayton and Ellen. Uh, Ellen could be a bit tedious. I felt like they had the same conversation a few times over, yeah. especially when considering their feelings, because somewhere between act one and two, I would say he confesses his feelings for her. Yes, but in character. In character, as Clayton, he's like, oh, I can't work for you anymore because I have feelings for you, but I'll still help you on your journey. But I, I don't feel comfortable taking your money. Yeah. And she says that she has feelings for him too. And he kisses her and then she's like, no, what are you doing? I want you to work for me. Yes. And that's a bit of a confusing talk and have something like that quite a few times. And I think it's because so the writer-director, Cooper Carl, based this on a short film that he did in 2017. And I think this is where you feel that the idea perhaps was just better suited for a short film yeah because there's not much in there no like in terms of like character interaction and stuff yeah and there's a lot in there that i feel like doesn't need to be in there like ellen's ex-husband is never shown no but like he's in the mob or something yeah it's a bit unclear but uh, they they had to ride him out of the film somehow and he's in in jail for embezzling money Mm. from the lady who supposedly blinded her, which of course turns out to be a lie from Clayton. Yeah. And I'm glad it was a lie because uh, at the time when they introduced it into the film, I thought that, like, they play play it up as if that is a mystery too. Like, who is Sasha? Yeah. And would she do something like that? And then you find out and it feels really unsatisfying because they're like, well, if this Sasha character did it, who I haven't seen and I've only heard about, that's just not very interesting and also it wasn't something that alan found out it was something that was told to her but then of course that was the red herring so it was fine yeah exactly but i felt like that was definitely padding i don't think it added anything that her that there was a red herring that her husband was an embezzler no um i found the lana plot very confusing at times Um, which makes sense if you, if you watch the, if you're at the end of the film, because Lana is Clayton's sister. Yes. And she, in the beginning is playing along with the game and then isn't anymore near the end, but it's very, whatever the film needs her to be in the moment. Yeah. It's not clear enough that she is also basically as captive because they also make it seem at times that she was actively involved in Ellen's kidnapping yeah. or even that she did the attack because uh-huh. the the initial clip of her getting asked to throw in the face also kind of seems to suggest that it's a woman who's doing it. Yeah, um, that was actually another interesting thing because it suggests that's a woman because we see someone with a wig yeah. With like long long hair and red hair. So at some point I thought, oh, it's something someone trying to steal Ellen's identity. But she Ellen always insists it felt like a man. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're also supposed to think Lana did it, but you always have to believe Ellen in this film. Yeah. And she knew it was a man, she knew it was Clayton. Yeah, exactly. 
Huh. That was a really good twist, though. Like that, um, uh, because of course you see you see it coming, or at least they kind of hinted mm-hmm. that the apartment isn't what it seems. Like there's things going on, like with that, yeah. the, the walls change and the bird changes, and then mm-hmm. there is this sound effect that plays every time Layton comes in. He comes in every time from eleven to two. To two, yeah. And then at two past eleven sharp every day, a no, every other day. Every other day, a sound of a car horn and then a car alarm plays yeah. outside her window, quote unquote, because it's of course just in the mm-hmm. studio next over. And then she mentions that to Clayton, like, "Oh yeah," and then he starts describing to her, "Oh, there's a guy who is parallel parked and he drives off now." Mm-hmm. So you could tell that that was clearly being manipulated somehow. But the twist that Clayton is also all the other people we, except from Lana, who we'd seen in the film, mm-hmm. super cool. Yeah, I thought there was. Um, and I thought, uh, I hadn't figured it out, but I just thought, huh, yeah. Because uh, uh, the first thing you see is her in a hospital bed with a mm. nurse, Omar. And he already look, kind of looked like Clayton, I thought, because he had his little same, same complexion, same hair. It's like, oh, yeah. it's just the same guy. That makes sense because he's a nurse and a caregiver, you know? Yeah. Didn't think about that any further. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out he was, all the other people, wasn't actually the same actor. It was like, oh, that's so cool. And it makes so much sense because yeah. then it makes sense why the detective is being weird why the security guard is being weird why the lana's husband quote unquote mm-hmm. is being so aggressive to both her and ellen for no reason yeah. you know and then of course in this world of awful people that clayton has created he is the only good character to ellen mm-hmm. and that of course then forces her into this sort of artificial yeah safety uh, of a relationship yeah and I, I really liked the twist. I thought it was cleverly done. I mean, you, you obviously know that something's going on. You know that Clayton is involved. I figured that the that Lana and her husband were involved. Russo, I think. Russo, yes. But that was about it. Like, I didn't think the, the hospital was fake, stuff like that. Yeah, but exactly. it makes sense because she kept being confused how she was moved from all these different locations. Yeah. You never see her drive from the hospital to the studio she just wakes up there yeah so i did figure she was kidnapped but i didn't realize she was just drugged and moved one room over yeah exactly um what i didn't like is that the reveal of the twist also involved alan deciding to take her own life yeah uh which i felt was done in quite a drawn out and if not slightly romanticized scene yeah like it bothered me the way that they handled that and I wonder, I honestly think that was like either a really pivotal scene in the short film or just it felt like something they had decided on quite early on. Like, and then she jumps from the window and then she realizes it's a set. So they kept it in, but I didn't feel like it was a natural progression for Ellen. No, exactly. And also it was fil- how it was filmed. It also, mm. I was kind of afraid that was going to be the ending for a second. Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. This is going to be it. But then... It cut to the actual reveal, mm. which then sort of made up for it. But I, I agree that the events leading up to it mm. didn't warrant Ellen taking her own life in such a... In any manner, but especially not such mm. a dramatic manner. Like with a super drawn out uh, voiceover of her reading her farewell notes. That, yeah. she's, that she is voice typing on her laptop. I would have liked it better if there was like a scene... She has figured it out. She's pretty sure it's a set and she needs to test it. Yeah. And you have like a scene with her on the balcony 
and it keeps switching to the set and to a street and she yeah. doesn't know she's not sure what it's going to be and then she has to take a literal leap, leap of, of faith, faith and has to trust in the fact she is sure it's a set she knows it so she can take that leap and then she knows everything i believe to be true it is true i can trust my perception yeah and that would have been a nice symbolic thing as well because then you sort of have the symbolism of her breaking out of trauma mode and her sort of taking matters into her own hands yeah. and re-entering the real world on her own terms and not living in this pampered yeah. uh, tailor-made sort of uh, re- yeah. re- rehab situation yeah i guess but also just her as shaking that feeling that she's powerless as a as a blind woman and that she yeah. can't trust her own perception anymore and she needs someone like clayton to tell her what's real and what's not she knows what's real and she knows when she's being misled. So I, I think that would have been much stronger without really needing much tailoring to the film. Like they could have just done that and then the rest of the film would have been... Pretty much the same. Pretty much the same, but better, you know? Yeah. I think that's all the thing. Yeah, I, I didn't like Clayton's backstory. I felt that was really flimsy. Well, flimsy, it was really... That was done, you know? Yeah, and also... It felt like they had the whole film already. Mm. Like, okay, mm. the guy keeps yeah. a woman in a fake house, mm. blinds her because he's obsessed with her, period. Yeah. And then they had to figure out, okay, but why is he obsessed with this particular woman? Yeah. Well, because his mom died, yes. And she reminds him of his mom. No, 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 no. Okay. No, his mom died, yeah. And then his dad locked him in a basement for three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he wants to do the same to her. No, 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 no. And then her, his sister... He has a sister, secretly played her music, because she's a violinist, to him for three years. Ah, and that's why he's obsessed with her. It's like, okay, that's like three steps further than it needed to be, if, yeah. if there had, had to be any steps at all. So you have this film that it really reminded me of, which is called Secret, Secret Obsession. And it has a similar thing where uh, the main character gets uh, injured and is uh, basically kidnapped uh, unbeknownst to her by someone who's pretending to be her husband right and then in the end she figures out because she has like severe memory loss she starts to recollect that he isn't her husband he's a co-worker that is obsessed with her and then they show that because she's looking at old pictures and that's it like it, we don't need to have like a long drawn out explanation why he's obsessed with her some people are just like that. Yeah, exactly. I didn't need that explanation that Clayton has this obsession with her because of his mom and also because of violin and also he was in a basement for three years. Yeah. Like, it could have been like he just listened to her music once and it touched him. Yeah. Or, Or not even an explanation. Sometimes people do evil things for evil and there's no explanation and that's even more scary that's even scarier yeah because this was just a this was three backstories dressed in a trench coat posing to be one edgy backstory yeah because when i hear that like okay so for this to happen to me i would have had to be a famous violinist and that would and and who whose music was played to someone in this incredibly strange elaborated abusive situation yes that's probably not going to happen to me starting with the fact that i don't play the violin no but if it's like this random dude just had an obsession with her for some reason yeah. and he kidnapped her, that's freaking scary because then it's like this could happen to you. Yes. Because the randomness of her being blinded by just 
a attacker is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, definitely. The the preciseness of her being targeted, not so much. No, no, exactly. That's true, and um, you know, and also it kind of runs the risk of making Clayton sympathetic, which is not something you need in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I? Does the film want me to feel sad that his mom died and that he was locked in his basement for three years? Like, no, not really. I don't want to be sad about that. I don't no. want to care. And I, perhaps it was just, you know, more padding, more stuff, more scenes to make this a feature film instead of a short film. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind, like, doing short films. Like, happily yeah. watch this as a short film. Yeah, like, now that you mention it, I do realize it was padded. It didn't bother me as much when I was watching it. Yeah. But it could have been cut. Yeah, yeah. it's just something that I'm realizing now we're really getting into it. Yeah. But overall, so it was a really enjoyable movie experience. I didn't feel it was too long, necessarily, when I watched it. I just think they didn't use the time, perhaps, in things that they could have used it. No, I do think it wasn't too long, but I do think the ending shouldn't have rolled out any later because then i would have lost interest yeah i felt like okay this we have had the three same back and forths with ellen and clayton now now something needs to happen otherwise i'm out i wouldn't have minded if that they had spent more time developing their relationship and even have it be sort of romantic yeah like that that just makes the ending creepier you know for sure I thought the acting was uh, was pretty all right. I think Mad- Madeline Pesh, I know her for Riverdale. I think she also co-produced this, so good on her. And I think she definitely wanted to do this perhaps to show that she has a lot more range. Uh, maybe even trying to get out of like the teenage thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was sometimes weird for me because she, she looks really young and I'm used to seeing her as... Cheryl Blossom from Riverdale. Uh-huh. So when she was talking about her ex-husband, I was like, you are 16. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, good on her. I thought her acting was definitely the best out of everyone. I found Alexander Koch to be fine. I found the girl who played Lana to be passable. Yeah, she wasn't great. She no. Was, like, I would say... Her sort of whole character just oozed general distress. Yeah. And that is just a little one note for me. And also, I don't... Usually I say, well, it wasn't a great performance, but she didn't have a lot to work with. But I do think she had enough to work with to have really put her stamp on it. Yeah. And she didn't. But perhaps that was the directing. Exactly, yeah. Because Lana does make for an interesting character if 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 they play with that sort of tension of is she become how much is she complicit and how much is she also yeah. a victim, you know? And I feel like we were to we were made to feel really bad for her. And yeah. they the film where it kind of looked at Clayton and wanted to make him a really great character, they looked at Lana and really didn't want her to be even one shade of grey. Yeah, but also it's weird because they wanted us to feel bad for Lana for a really long time because she supposedly has an abusive husband who then turns out to not exist. But I think she did still have like bruises and cuts from Clayton. Those are real, but then it's sort of, then you have to sort of backtrack. Oh wait, yeah, that's by Clayton. So the abusive husband... But then she has to... That is fucked up, though. She has to sort of keep the whole abusive husband storyline going. Mm-hmm. Like, and to pretend like that is sort of normalized, even though she knows that it's... 
Yeah. Her in a captive suit. Super weird. That makes it weird. Clayton was like, I've got a great role for you. Yeah. I, I, have you learned your lines yet? Yeah. Oh my God. So you said that you perhaps preferred this slightly to... Split. Split. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, like, what film does this remind me of when once you had the studio? I was like, ah, oh, this is Split. Uh, the, I'm going to say 2015... M. Night Shyamalan film. I'm not sure. Starring, starring James. James McAvoy. Yeah. Um, and I was watching this and I was like, dang, this is a film who, like, as you said, takes its premise, runs with it, and is just consistent throughout. And there's mm-hmm. no fluff. There's no, apart from the explanation that's a little bit flimsy, there's no real ifs and that's. It's just nice, clean cut, perfect tense, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get split. And, you know... James McAvoy's acting is great and uh, him switching between the altars is amazing. But I just felt that there was so much side notes of like mm-hmm. the whole, um, like there was this whole debate in there for is he faking his illness mm-hmm. and uh, why does he kidnap these three specific girls? And it's so distracted from the whole tension that that film could have had. And that's why I felt like, okay, even though this might be a little less produced and a little, like, maybe not as well acted in some mm. places, I feel like this was a lot cleaner and uh, a lot more consistent than Split. Because yeah. I think Split really leaned on that performance of James McAvoy to be good. And here, you didn't really need that because the alters were the twist. Yeah. And, and I thought that was really nice. And um, what I also liked... W- about that is when Split came out, there was quite a debate on demonization of people with multiple Multiple. personality disorder. Yeah. And I would argue that it's not multiple personality disorder in this film. No. Uh, Clayton, and that's why I said plays pretend, he has had to play pretend to cope with his mother's illness. Yes. And that is just his his way of giving shape to the world. He's always telling uh, Ellen, the world can be whatever you want. You know, just imagine it. And that's sort of how he leads his life. And he can't really let go of that, it seems. So there's definitely some trauma there where it's not really a coping mechanism that he can give up. But it is something that he does quite with an intent. Yeah. He does it consciously. It's not something that he's subjected to. It's something that he does as such it doesn't lean into people with multiple personalities or one thing or another thing yeah it just side sidesteps that whole debate which i appreciate yeah very neat very neatly done yeah i uh, did you feel it was tense no 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 not really uh i, I didn't really it was tense in the way that I wanted to know what was going on as a viewer, mm-hmm. but not really like, oh, like, oh shit, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, it didn't um, convince me enough of how scary it is to lose your eyesight. I didn't feel like it was visually nicely conveyed that she mm-hmm. was blind and that she was imagining the world around yeah. her. I thought that was nicely done, but I didn't get the feeling how scary it is to have shit happen around you. And not seeing it anymore. Yeah, and it's hard because do you really want to film that basically says, oh, going blind is the absolute worst and absolute scariest thing that can happen to you? So I can appreciate that they didn't really go that route. I think they went for the route. It's uh, one of the scariest thing that scariest 
things that can happen to you is being in a situation where you are completely under someone else's control and you are completely dependent on them. Yeah. And then it kind of shows that Ellen isn't. She can overcome that. Yeah. But that's not super tense. There are some tense moments. I thought the moment where she falls into the like um, soundproof kind of box they've put outside of a window when she leaps from the window... That was really tense. Yeah. Because it looked like a very small confined space and that was making me really anxious. Uh-huh. It's not super tense. No. And it's sometimes the tension is a little bit predictable as well. Like there's this scene where she's walking through a hallway and um with the stick. With the walking stick, yeah, the the cane. And and she ha- she holds it forward, like it's cane in one hand and then a taser that she's found in yeah. the other. And it's sort of played for a jump scare, but it's only for the audience because it doesn't matter to her whether the hallway is dark or not. Mm-hmm. And then you just know that at some point, Clayton's hand is just going to pop up out of the darkness and yank the cane yeah. out of her hand, which of course happens. I honestly found the, the jump scares scarier that weren't jump scares or the scares yeah. that weren't scares, like when she thinks there's someone looking at her, but it's nothing. She's just imagining it. Yeah. Or the one that, that one I found really good. She goes into the room and she imagines Clayton to be in the place where she left him, left him on the floor. But she knocked him over the head. And then suddenly he jumps into frame because, yeah, sure, she can imagine that he's still on the floor, but... He got up. He got up, yeah. yeah. I thought that one was really that good. That got me real good. That yeah. was, uh, holy shit. But was... it's it's still uh, wor- really worth the watch. Just, it's not a, a, a fantastic horror film. No, it's not. No, I wouldn't say it's a fantastic horror film. Mm. But considering that this is... Sort of a, clearly a fairly small scale passion mm. product by just one person. Yeah. Very nice. Very mm. like very much appreciate what they were going for and they executed it. Whatever they had, they executed yeah. it very well. And even if it's not super original, like Clayton's backstory wasn't super original, yeah. and uh, apparently there are quite a few films that use this premise. Uh, I felt it did kind of stand out from whatever is on my Netflix reel right now. Yeah, which uh, is also most of the films you've already reviewed at this point. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely, I, I highly recommend this film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is strange because when I went to check the the reviews and how it's rated, I was actually expecting the ratings and the reviews to be a little... More Ma- generous. More generous than yeah. they were. They quite quite harsh. People don't like this film, no. Um, I found this one uh, by a guy named Matt Pace uh, from mattpace.com. Uh, and he says there's suspension of disbelief and then there's far-fetched nonsense. Which I find a bit harsh. Like, yeah. I, um, like of course... Coming always... from the people who just shat on hereditary. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. no, okay, but that's different. Because, okay, why that's different mm-hmm. is because you need to have suspension of disbelief first. Yeah. And then once you've established, okay, this is the universe that we're These working with. These are the rules, yeah. Yeah, then you have to stick, then you have to be consistent. And hereditary isn't really consistent in that sense. Yeah. And this film is consistent. And that's why I don't think within the universe of this film, this film is nonsense. I haven't read this... Uh, review. So I don't know if this is what he's referring to, but I assume it's the idea that there, Alan believes that Clayton is all these different people. Yeah, and also that he can keep up the spiel for so long. Yeah. So I don't feel like he kept it up for so long. No. I feel like this film, it's a week, I think. A week at most, yeah. Oh, at most, which I don't think is 
is hugely long, especially considering that not much happens for the first two days. She's just adjusting to the to the house, yeah. basically. So I, I don't mind that. And, you know, that is the premise. The premise of the film is that this man is such a good actor and she is so disoriented that she falls for it. Yeah. Initially. And, you know, if you're going to say that is far-fetched, yeah, then the film isn't anything for you. But then you could do that to about any film we've watched. Then you can say, well, I find Midsommar to be far-fetched because you would immediately recognize like after day one everyone would leave or something and then they wouldn't be able to kill the people that easily yeah you know that's the premise of the film i don't think that's a fair criticism and the premise and then the film Mm. establishes that Mm. they can't leave because people that try to leave are killed anyway exactly um and that is why cinema sins is toxic for film reviews and you shouldn't review films that way (laughs) Yeah, in that sense, I, I found it believable. Of course, if you think about it, like they they, sh- they do this montage where you see the people morph into, uh, into Clayton. Clayton and they very generously, I think, help him match his voice a little bit more to them. And of course, then you hear like this, this older uh, black man who clearly has a different voice than Clayton. And a few of the other voices didn't really match up. That one, the detective one, Detective Bryce, was the one that really stood out out to me. But that's the premise. You gotta... You gotta lean into it a little bit. You gotta lean into it. And it made for a great twist, so I don't mind that. No. And I do think she figures it out, and she figures it out pretty much. Yeah, Lana kind of connects the last few dots, but Ellen pretty much figures it out and the way she figures out is quite cool because it's mm. because uh, Clayton, as Clayton, uses mm. a phrase that the nurse also uses. Like he yeah. says, I'll be back in two ticks. Yeah. And then he does like on the table. Mm-hmm. And then she remembers, ah, the nurse that helped me first did that too. Like I'll be back in two ticks. And then he knocks on the door two times. Yeah. And then she remembers other things like, ah, oh, the clicking of the flashlights that the security guard has is the same as the flashlight mm. that the paramedic had that helped me later when I stumbled and fell. Yeah. And then she starts connecting these dots like, ah, so these sounds, because she's very auditory yeah. orientated now. She's like, oh, all these sounds are the same. Yeah. And then she puts it together like that, which I thought was really cleverly done. Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. And, it's, and I felt like that was such a good warranted twist that it's fine if you don't figure it out because we are so visually orientated yeah. that it's more easy to pick up somebody who just listens to the same sound cues. So it's mm-hmm. fine if Ellen picks up on it before the audience does. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought that was warranted. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there are other questions that you can ask, like how was he able to build this studio and 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 where did he get the money for all of this and then you can go on like that for ages and ages but you know is that really how you want to watch this film no is that really how you want to watch any film no no No. if you watch films that way then films maybe aren't for you (laughs) yeah (laughs) watch watch non-fiction watch non-fiction yeah watch a documentary yeah um, yeah, I think that was all I wanted to say about this film. Yeah. It reminded me of a lot of Rammstein songs, to be honest. Oh, I like that. That's not a bad thing. No, like you have uh, songs like Stein Umstein, which, uh, which is about somebody who builds a house around somebody so that they can't oh. leave. And they have this song called uh, Klavier, which means piano, mm-hmm. uh, in which somebody keeps 
the partner of ex-lover in an attic room to play piano for them even after they're dead and oh. then the family finds out and it sort of reminded me of that there's a few of those Rammstein songs and that really mm. tickled me uh, for those not in the know Rammstein is a great German metal band go look them up yeah yeah and on that note I'll say um, I've been Grace I've been Wouter thank you very much for tuning in uh, leave a comment recommend this film so mm -hmm. let us know what you thought of the film uh, tune in next time when we review a different film that I'm not going to name because who knows what we're going to record next. <laughs> and um, you've, you've been, been slashed. slashed.